Thank you so much. So if you have your Bibles there, please feel free to turn to John 3 again and work with me through this passage. Interesting passage. Well-known passage. At least we think we know it well, don't we? I'm going to start by asking you a number of questions. What I want you to do is not answer out loud like the children or the young people, but answer into yourself. First question, do you consider yourself a Christian? Just a yes, no, simple yes, no Christian. Question, do you consider yourself to be an evangelical Christian? Yes, no. Do you consider yourself to be a born-again Christian? What does the term born-again mean to you? If you said yes to Christian, yes to evangelical, would you describe yourself as born-again? If so, why? If not, why not? I say that because the term born-again seems to become very much associated with fundamentalist, fanatic, those who would oppose anything which is seen as progress, who would query everything new, and in some cases seemingly oppose it with violence. So the term born-again has in some senses gone out of vogue, but here it is in John chapter 3. Some of us who are a little bit older will remember the Watergate scandal in America in the 1970s. For those who don't remember it, you can go home and look it up um, on the internet or whatever. But one person who was very much involved with that, a man called Charles Coulson, and the story of how he became a Christian as a result of that whole scandal and his involvement in it, how he went from being the White House hatchet man to being a born-again Christian, as written in his, his biography. Written in 1976, he said, Many assume that born-again is an overworked Protestant cliché. For me, it is anything but a cliché. And it was the only title which he felt could adequately describe what had happened to him. He had changed from being a deceiver, a hatchet man, to someone who was involved in finding an organization which many of us know, Prison Fellowship, and which has done tremendous work in prisons all around the world. As someone else has said, it was Jesus, not some tele-evangelist, who said, you must be born again. So born again. Let's try and find out what it means. But first, we have to discover the person that Jesus said to you must be born again. Nicodemus, who was Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. What did that mean? He was a very zealous observer of the Jewish law and true religion. He was a highly regarded teacher. Some think that he was the leading teacher of his day. Verse 10 says, you are Israel's teacher. It could be translated, you are the teacher in Israel. A significant person in his society. Who was he like today? Well, our society is getting progressively less religious. But think of some other cultures and societies where there are religious people who are at the top echelons of society. The Dalai Lama in Tibet, the Ayatollah in Iran. I'm not suggesting they believe the same as Nicodemus, but he was that sort of a person. He was a leader in the country. Why did he come to Jesus at night? 
It was probably very hard to get to see Jesus during the day. And rabbis probably did their discussing at night. So it was maybe a reasonable time to come. Maybe he didn't want to be associated with the normal people that Jesus dealt with, the dubious company that he kept. Maybe he didn't want the other religious leaders to know that he was meeting with Jesus. It would be a black mark against him. Interestingly, as I read this, did you note that if you look through John's Gospel, John uses the idea of night in a different sense to what we'd normally think of just physical darkness. When he's reporting what Judas did when he betrayed Jesus, it says, Judas, after he had taken the bread, went out, and it was night. Night, in John's concept, is something which is ominously dark. Here was a man, if you like, Nicodemus, coming to Jesus in the dark. A religious leader, but yet he didn't know what he needed to know. What did Nicodemus think of Jesus? There was obvious warmth in the greeting. Rabbi, teacher. This was very generous because Jesus hadn't gone through the official route for teacher or rabbi accreditation. He'd come up a very different route. He hadn't become a Pharisee. And yet, Nicodemus wasn't recognizing Jesus as anything more than a prophet. He wasn't recognizing him as Messiah and certainly not as the Son of God. And that's our starting point, if you like, this morning as we sit here. How did you answer the yes-no questions at the start? Maybe your very first question was, the answer to, are you a Christian, was no. We come here this morning maybe with no recognition of who Jesus is. You wouldn't attribute his works to Satan. You would say he's a good man, but he's not unique. He's perhaps just a teacher the way that Nicodemus saw him. Maybe this morning, like Nicodemus, your condition is darker than you think. Maybe like Nicodemus, you're in the dark. I want to look at Nicodemus' interaction with Jesus as an offer. Jesus offering Nicodemus new life. And just to look at it as the offer, Nicodemus' response, which is resistance, Jesus offers again. Nicodemus responds negatively again. Jesus offers again. It really bears out what it says God so loved, persistence and love. And then, if you like, the final bit, which is an offer of life, or if you don't accept life, then you're choosing death. So what is this offer of new life all about? Again, go back a few years. Did you see a documentary on TV about a family who had moved from the UK to New Zealand. It was called Get a New Life. And it followed their whole process of leaving the UK and moving to New Zealand. After Nicodemus had greeted Jesus, Jesus, interestingly, doesn't engage in any small talk with Nicodemus. He goes straight to the point. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. What's that all about? 
is Jesus saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to get a new life. You need to make some changes. You need to make some moves, geographical or otherwise, in your life. What Jesus was saying here in saying you must be born again, born again, the word which is translated born again here has two senses to it. It can mean again, something which is a repeat, but it also can mean from above. So Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, be born again. Be born from above. So what he's speaking about here is not just a repeat event, but something which is supernatural in origin. It's not just happening again, but it's happening in a different, a very different way. This is very surprising for Nicodemus because he thought that the kingdom of God, the arrival of the kingdom of God, would happen at the end of history. And Jesus was saying to him, no, it's happening now. Why? Because Jesus, the Messiah, had arrived. But the second thing, which was perhaps a little more surprising for Nicodemus, was that Nicodemus thought that as a devout Jew, his entry into the kingdom of God was assured. But Jesus was saying to him, no, your place in the kingdom of God is only dependent on being born again. So Nicodemus is reeling here because he's hearing things which are new to him. He's hearing things which he hasn't, as the teacher of Israel, been teaching. And he's trying to process it all. What about you this morning? Are you anticipating salvation as something that will be sorted out later? At the end, whenever that is? Are you even thinking like Nicodemus that your own standing, your own credentials, your own religious upbringing, whatever it is, is enough to guarantee you entry to that kingdom? Jesus is saying here, no. You need to be born again. You need to be born from above. So Nicodemus, his response is in verse 4. What does he say? He says, How can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? Nicodemus doesn't hear the born again from above. He just hears the physical action to be born again. And that's not what Jesus is saying. There is a repeat, but it's a spiritual birth. So Jesus offers new life again. He's trying to help Nicodemus. He's trying to appeal to Nicodemus' current understanding. What does he do? He takes Nicodemus to the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and also to creation. If you read that passage in verses 5 to 7 about being born of the water and the spirit, now we read that with Christian New Testament eyes. The danger is, I think, not a danger, but we tend to look at born of water perhaps in terms of baptism. Nicodemus probably didn't know much about baptism. What's more likely that Jesus was taking him back to Ezekiel? Ezekiel chapter 36, where he says, I will take you, and this is uh, Ezekiel, God prophesying through Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries. 
bring you back into your old land, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Water and spirit. Water and spirit. So Nicodemus would immediately go back to this promise of the new age, of the coming of the Messiah. And why was Jesus taking him back there? Because he was saying, Messiah is present. Being born again of water and spirit, as prophesied by Ezekiel, is happening now, Nicodemus. Because I am here. Because Jesus is here. And then the second appeal he does is this whole story about about the wind, about the wind blowing. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. You don't know where it's coming from. And what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is taking Nicodemus along the Old Testament scroll just a little bit to Ezekiel 37. We all know the story there in Ezekiel 37. It's the valley of dry bones. God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. Then you will know that I am the Lord, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live So Jesus is taking Nicodemus back and saying, the kingdom has arrived, Messiah has arrived. The sprinkling by water and the Spirit, this new birth is happening now before you because the Spirit comes to give new life. So what's Nicodemus' response in verse 9? He's still struggling. Here is a man Jesus is trying to take from one way of looking at things to a completely different and new way of looking at things. What does he say in verse 9? How can this be? Nicodemus replied. How can this be? He's still not understanding. So what does Jesus do? Gently and yet firmly. He takes him back to the Old Testament again. And he says to him, look at the, the thing he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You want eternal life, Nicodemus? Go back to the Old Testament again. And it's the story of how Moses, under instructions from God, built a bronze serpent snake, put it on a pole, and put it up in the Israelite camp because they had been disobedient and God had sent a plague of snakes amongst them They had been bitten. They would die when they were bitten. If anyone looked at the snake raised up on the pole from anywhere in the camp, they would instantly be saved. And Jesus is saying, just as Moses lifted up this bronze snake in the Old Testament, so another lifting up is going to take place. That lifting up is of me. The Son of Man, and he was referring to the fact that he would be lifted up on the cross. And anyone who looks to me lifted up on the cross will have eternal life. 
So where is this eternal life coming from? Nicodemus, it's coming from Jesus as he is lifted up on the cross. Not at the end of the age, not because of your Judaism or your devotion. It's coming from Jesus lifted up on the cross. The kingdom of God is seen or entered. New birth is experienced. Eternal life begins through the saving cross work of Christ received through faith. That's how eternal life is given. Nicodemus is still struggling. How about us this morning? Are we still struggling? Or have we seen, have we acknowledged what Jesus has done on the cross and acknowledged our need of eternal life? So Jesus, again, takes Nicodemus to the last section, a section which I think we know well, don't we? For God so loved the world. And it's interesting here, Jesus is saying that God's love for this world is great. You think it would be adequate to say God loved the world, wouldn't it? Because God's love must be infinite. But John has to say God so loved the world. And Jesus comes and he offers life, new life, through the cross to all who would come and trust in him. And as someone has said, the amazing thing is not that we are more wicked, and the passage does say that whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. But the amazing thing is that the cross shows us that we are more loved than we could ever dream about. We stand before Jesus like Nicodemus in the dark, not knowing how we might have eternal life. And Jesus comes, Jesus dies, Jesus is lifted up on the cross, and he says, look to me, trust me, believe in me because of what I've done on the cross, and then you will have eternal life. Then you will be born again. Where are you with that today? Are you still reeling, confused, uncertain like Nicodemus? Which leads me to a question. What about Nicodemus? Nicodemus disappears out of John 3. He reappears again in John chapter 7, uh, 50 and 52. Briefly, and all he says there is that he's defending Jesus' right for a fair trial before the Pharisees. He's saying, we should really give this man a fair hearing. And the response to him is, who has ever heard of a prophet coming from Galilee? In other words, Nicodemus, please, you're speaking out of turn. Was he a disciple of Jesus? Perhaps. Turn with me now to page 1088 in the Pew Bibles, John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And verse 38. Later, this is after the death, Jesus has died, and it's the burial of Jesus. Later, Joseph of Arimathea, sorry, 
Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and they took Jesus' body, wrapped it in spices, and buried it in a tomb. Nicodemus reappears after the death of Jesus. What was he now if not a disciple of Jesus? Isn't that amazing? He saw Jesus lifted up on the cross. And he was now following Jesus. He saw Jesus lifted up on the cross. And he was now following Jesus. And look at the spices he brought with him. 75 pounds, 34 kilograms. If you go onto EasyJet or some of these airlines, you can take one 15 kilogram suitcase, I think. He had two big suitcases full of spices to wrap Jesus' body. It was the equivalent to preparing an ancient king's body for burial. Nicodemus had seen Jesus as a rabbi. He now saw him as king. Isn't that tremendous? He was now following and trusting Jesus as king. So as you hear the call of Jesus again this morning, you must be born again. You must be born again. Stop asking, how is it possible like Nicodemus? And affirm that God's grace can make my heart new. One last thought for you just before we finish. You're saying to me this morning, Nigel, I've heard this before. I'm a believer. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm born again. What does the passage say to me? Did you notice there were three active persons in the passage that we looked at? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As Jesus spoke in this passage, he talked about the Spirit giving you birth. He talked about God the Father sending him as the Son. He talked about him coming and redeeming. And do you know, being born again is all about being indwelt, not by God the Father, not by God the Son, not by God the Spirit, but by God the Father, Son, and Spirit. New birth is all about being indwelt by what the Christ, what Christians, what we as Christians call the Trinity. One God, three co-equal persons sharing the one divine being. So as we come here this morning as Christians, those who have been born again, we come not on our own. We come indwelt by Almighty God and we come reflecting the fact that God is Trinity as a community of people as well. And we come to do a number of different things this morning. And one of the things that we do this morning is that we meet around the communion table together. And as a church, we leave this open to all believers.
not just folks who attend or are members of Windsor Baptist Church. And in keeping with the scriptures, we encourage us all to examine ourselves and recognize that we do this as a community of believers, not just as individuals, but as a community, as a body. And as we do that, as we come together, and as we remember, let's sing a song together, The Splendor of the King. There's a refrain in this which says, Father, Spirit, Son. And it also says, The Lion and the Lamb. And as we come to communion, remember Jesus, who is in another part of Scripture described as the sacrificial lamb. What happened on the cross was a sacrifice for us. So we come this morning born again. And we can give God the praise and the glory for that. And we can remember how that was achieved as we come to sing and to remember at communion. And maybe the servers could come forward at the end of this song. The splendor of the King.